it is a balance, but it's really checking both boxes. You know, we do the return box first and the strategic benefit second, but we, we do like to have both. We wouldn't do an investment without a return. And really, if it didn't make strategic sense, we wouldn't do it either. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, we're going to jump into the world of corporate venture as we sit down with Simon Burton of Kellogg's and also of 1894 Capital. Simon, welcome to the show. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. For sure. Well, I want to start with a little background. Can you explain exactly what is 1894 Capital and how did it get started? Yeah. So 1894 is the corporate venture capital arm for Kellogg. It is a you know wholly owned fund used by Kellogg basically to do all the corporate venture capital stuff that you're that you're normally used to. Hopefully with a, a couple of little twists to it, which I can you know detail a little bit more in the future. But we um, we take minority investments in companies. We hope for a return and we hope for a strategic benefit as well. Wonderful. And can you talk a little bit about the organizational structure of 1894? A lot of corporate VCs have different models. So what is the model you chose and why did you go down that path? Sure. Yeah. Um, and you asked me, too, how it got started, which I, which I didn't answer. So I'll do that, too. So the, the model here is, as I say, it, it, it's focused on return and strategic benefit. And with a couple of different twists, it's, it's corporate venture. The twists are, one, the, the return piece of it we focus on pretty, uh, pretty intently. We do that for two reasons. One, it helps align us with the entrepreneur. And I'm you know, cognizant when we set up the fund that you know, sometimes entrepreneurs aren't sure about corporate venture and the differences between financial investors and strategic ones. This helps to align us, I think, unambiguously with the entrepreneur. And I think that's an important thing. For the same reasons, we don't require rights to first refusal or anything like that either. So we're very cognizant of the setup to, to try and get that alignment. Then the second thing that we do is that we provide a lot of help to the companies that we partner with. And that help can be almost in any area. Any area that we're allowed to help in is, is basically fair game. So we have a team of people that work on 1894 who have kept their regular jobs within the Kellogg you know, company. And the real reason that they keep that job is to remain fresh in their discipline, you know, rather than us pulling them out uh, and, and using them. So it, it helps them re, you know, remain fresh, but it also then you know, helps us sort of spread the work into the organization. And one of the things that we wanted to get from doing uh, venture capital at all was that the level of learning to involve our employees and help them, you know, learn agility and, and you know, any other number of lessons that you can get from these entrepreneurs. So those are some of the driving forces, actually, to your earlier question, which is why did you start, you know, why did you start 1894? It really is to help the innovation process, to stay up on trends, you know, recognize that there are some things that entrepreneurs bring that big companies don't bring. And you know we wanted to get a we wanted to get exposure to all of that, and get our uh, you know get the the broader base of employees some opportunities to learn. 
So you started that uh, question by really talking about aligning with the interests of your fellow investors and of entrepreneurs by looking at financial returns. But then you talked about the strategic value as well. How do you think about balancing that tension between financial returns and strategic returns for the company? Yeah, it's a great question. The way we do it, we really look for both. And in my mind, the way I do it, Dave, is is focus first on the return piece, and then if you can, you know, if you can see a potential for the return after you do the diligence work, and it's very, you know, it's diligence work that that, that is very like you'd get from any financial investor. You would do a lot of diligence work, you know, a lot of modeling, a lot of analysis of categories and things like that. But once we once we are in a position where we're comfortable that we're gonna that we're gonna get a return, then we would also like a strategic benefit. And that, you know, there's, there's probably a hundred different kinds of strategic benefits out there. You know, the obvious ones are the learning piece I mentioned earlier. That that that's a, obviously that's a, an important thing. And I think that's one that you get from every investment. I, I can't I can't imagine making an investment. And us not learning something from from the relationship, but it could be a commercial relationship is another strategic benefit. You know, we could use an ingredient in our product, and, and we've actually done that in one or two cases. You know, we could distribute. We, you know, it could be any, you know, probably a hundred of those as well. It could be that we're making an investment in a category that Kellogg's interested in, but hasn't played in, or you know, probably won't play in, but it's somewhere that that, that broader companies interested in. That's another, you know, that's another possible strategic benefit. So, it is a balance, but it's really checking both boxes. You know, we do the return box first, and then the strategic benefit second. But we we do like to have both. We wouldn't do a return. We wouldn't do an investment without a return. And really, if it didn't make strategic sense, we wouldn't do it either. So let's talk about some of those companies you've invested in. How many companies have you invested in that you can disclose? And what are some examples of those? Um, we've done quite a few. We haven't, we, you know, we, we don't disclose everything by sort of policy, but we've done quite a few, and there's quite a few. There's six, seven, I think, detailed on our web page that are examples, and it really is stuff that sort of runs the gamut. So there are um, you know, branded companies in various categories. There are ingredient companies. Cargo, I think, is on the web page, which is a distribution play, you know, a tech distribution play. So we, as they really has run the gamut. It does give you a, a bit of a sense, I think, about some of those different strategic benefits. Like I say, one of them is distribution. So you can see that, you know, increasing distribution gives, you know, potentially gives Kellogg some um, extra revenue. There's an ingredients, um, sort of tech ingredient business in there, Mycotech's on the page. And then more traditionally branded products like uh, Siren or Cooley Cooley. So I think uh, cargo is a really interesting example there because it's actually one I use a lot when I give talks uh, as an example around this concept I call second-order consequences. And it's one that Benedict Devins, who from Andreessen Horowitz, he talked about how electric cars and autonomous vehicles have a really chance of destroying the convenience store because we won't have to go get our gas. And I use cargo as that example that it's an example of that distribution that who knows if that's going to become a massive channel, but in a way you are making that bet that the autonomous vehicle might become a convenience store of the future in a way. Is that how you thought about it? Yeah, it is exactly how we thought about it. You know, it is when you're in a rideshare vehicle, it's 
significantly less likely that you're going to make a stop to to buy something or make a stop during which you could buy something, whether it be in a beverage or food or whatever. So really, when you when you decide to make that trip in a rideshare vehicle, you're deciding not to buy a consumable, right? Um, the fact that somebody has sort of solved the problem, basically, of distribution in that channel is great. It's very clever. So yes, you know, the way you described it, I think, is, is, is the way we went into it. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about how Kellogg's uh, gets involved and helps these companies, because obviously you know, there's a financial check there. But what else do you bring to the table as you think about the the value of a corporate VC in that regard? Yeah, as I as I sort of touched on very briefly, you know, really nothing's off the table. There, you know, I I guess in theory there's some things that we you know we probably legally can't do, you know, depending on what kind of company it would be, but. Really, we're willing to help in in any area, and I, you know, also on our webpage, if you, if you have a look, you know, are the sort of the, the the front row team basically that helps. And it's it basically I, I started to think about it by business line when we were setting up the fund, and then I realized that wasn't the right way to do it. That it really needed to be by function. So there's people on there with experience in e-commerce. There's people with experience in innovation, legal. There's sales, all the stuff you might imagine, supply chain, procurement, marketing, all those, all those areas are sort of open for us to help with, and we have done a lot. What we don't want to do is, you know, is take over. We're not trying to we're not trying to run the company or even a big project. We're trying to help where we're needed. You know, if I see an area where I think we can help, I'll certainly suggest something. But we're here to help the entrepreneurs solve the problems that they that they want to have solved. And the way it works is that the group of people that you can sort of see are the conduits into their functions, if you like. And then behind that, there's you know all the Kellogg employees, all thirty thousand Kellogg employees. And what you find is that the the person with the you know with the expertise in whatever that function is will usually tap somebody in their respective functions to help and you get sort of a a more granular level of expertise if you like as, as it's passed through and this is how you know people i often get the question well how do you, how do your group of experts have time to do their Kellogg job and to help 1894 and that's how because they're they're very often passing the the help or the project to somebody who is an expert like I say, a more granular expert, and the work then gets divided out. That's great examples of how you help the companies. On the flip side, what do you think, you know, the individuals involved with 1894, but then Kellogg's as a whole, has learned from working with the entrepreneurs? A lot. This is this is one of those things. It's a, it's a very sort of qualitative answer, Dave, but the learning piece of it is, it's huge. We've got employees with two-way mentoring relationships with the entrepreneurs, where they'll, you know, they'll have a, a catch-up every every month, basically, and sort of share stories and, and help each other. We do a lot of that. We've actually had employees go to physically to the location and help, you know, with certain projects or things that the entrepreneurs have wanted specific help with. You know, we do a lot here where we had a, a portfolio day and we brought all the entrepreneurs in and, and employees were able to listen to presentations, but also get to know them. And then sort of on a business level, I think you learn a lot about trends. You learn a lot about 
consumer and how the consumer is changing. And you learn a lot of this stuff a lot more quickly. And this one, you know, sort of the last one is, what you know, I, I don't know about the term agility. I think it's probably a little bit overused. But the thing that these entrepreneurs bring, which is, you know, is the ability to move very quickly. And I think our employees, they really enjoy working with them. But I think they also enjoyed learning that lesson. I've had a, quite a few of them come to me and say, you know, my aha moment was when I was speaking to, you know, XYZ retail entrepreneur, and and you know, I realized, yeah, we are this product or whatever it is that they were working with, whatever project you know would be done and and making an impact in the company in six weeks, you know, which is you know, and, and I think that you know, sort of a, a getting a good sense for decision making and the and the impact that can have is again it's something qualitative but i think it's something a lot of the employees have, have really enjoyed doing talent is a big part of predicting the turn and as we talk about talent i wanted to mention one of our sponsors hunt club imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader that's the power of hunt club Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. So, you know, corporate, if you look at corporate venture capital, it's gone through a lot of cycles over the years. And right now you could argue it's kind of at a peak cycle in a lot of different ways. What do you think is going to take for the current corporate VC efforts to be sustainable and get through, you know, the next recession or crash or any of the things that historical maybe, maybe caused corporate VC to pull back a bit? Yeah, I, you know... It's a good question. I, I think if, as long as the corporations are focused on the right things, I think you weather those cycles. So being focused on those sort of twin goals that we talked about a few minutes ago of return and strategic value, I think while you're focused on those things, you make good investments and you're getting out of it what you really want to get, right, which, is, which are those two things, right, the strategic benefit and return. While you're able to, to sort of work your way through that, um, you know, that process, uh, I'm, I guess it changes, and I guess it changes, you know, with some of the valuations that, 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 that are out there in the market these days. You know, you're, the implication, I think, from your question is that those are, those are pretty high. I'd agree with that. But then, you know, you have to find the right investments and get the right strategic benefit. I'm not sure that really changes, Dave. You know, maybe your ability to to marry those two together becomes easier or harder, depending on the on the environment. But I think they're always out there. I think as long as you've got the discipline, you you know, you 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 find the right deals for you. So related to that, you know, looking back, what do you think is the biggest lesson that you've learned as you built 1894 that you'd share with another company that was going down the same journey of launching a corporate venture firm? Yeah, it's, a, it's another great question. Flexibility. I went into this thinking we were going to only invest in companies of a certain size. We were only going to write checks, you know, in a certain range, you know, that we were looking for this attribute and that attribute. And who knows sort of with 
board representation or what have you, but I realized pretty quickly that it becomes a question of fit and fit as it pertains to both the, you know, I guess the, the strategic benefit that you can get and the return benefit that you can get. And, you know, is the company checking those boxes for you? And if it is, being flexible seems to me to be the biggest thing. So we've done deals bigger than I thought would have been our average. We've done deals that have been smaller. I think if you wind yourself forward, you know, a few years and look at our average, they'll probably still be where I envisioned it when we went into this. But I bet the distribution's a lot flatter than I would have thought. I bet the, the, the tails are, are fatter because we've done bigger deals than I would have thought and, and smaller deals than I would have thought. But if you're getting the right deals and you, you're partnering with the right entrepreneurs and the right partners, that's great. You know, flexibility is important. So I, I definitely would would say flexibility is the main thing. So flexibility is a great mindset to kind of have. How do you get that mindset to be kind of, I'd call it aligned with management? Because corporations generally aren't known for being the most flexible in the world. So how do you drive and get that permission and get that understanding at the kind of executive level to give you that permission? Yeah, it, it's really not been something that we've, that we've had trouble with. You know, I, I think I think we all went into this, you know, sort of when I say we all, you know, I think senior management on the corporate side went into this wanting a varied set of benefits. Those strategic benefits can fall in different places, different areas. And I think while people went into it recognizing that we would get different things from different investments, that then allows you to be you know, flexible. And, and you do have to keep in mind that you're building a portfolio, not just, you know, a small group of investments or even just, a, it's not a one-off investment. You actually are building a portfolio and you want some diversification there. I guess, you know, back to your other question about, so what, you know, what did you learn or what would, what advice would you give? I guess that would be the other part is get every, you know, get getting an alignment going in from the people that you need to get alignment, I think is, you know, is an important an important aspect of it. And that I think we did. So on your uh, your last comment there, you talked about the importance of a portfolio. But investing is also part of a broader portfolio of startup engagement when you look at a corporation with partnerships on one end, M&A on the extreme other end, and corporate VC kind of often sitting in the middle. How do you see your corporate VC fund with 1894 interacting with the partnership side of Kellogg's and maybe even the M&A side of Kellogg's? Yeah, we do. I think on the on the partnership side, and so the, the, one of the other big benefits that, that corporate venture brings, and I, and I think this is probably where you're going with this, uh, is, is the possible commercial arrangements, right? So you learn a lot about consumer and consumer trends, and there's various ways that you can you know, that you can capitalize on that. And the, the commercial arrangement piece of it, I think I used, you know, um, using an ingredient or, you know, distributing a product as two examples. But we find a lot of companies that we that we may want to invest in and we may not want to invest in, but we might want to partner with as a corporation. And we, we provide a lot of different sort of connections, if you like, throughout the, the broader corporate side of Kellogg for these entrepreneurs and for the startups. So that is one of the things that we that we sort of 
I guess, pride ourselves on doing. And I think it is a big, very tangible benefit that Kellogg gets from it. On the M&A side, we, you know, we don't require rights to first refusal when we make investments or any of those sorts of things, anything that, that you know, that would sort of limit options for the entrepreneurs. So it, it is possible that, you know, we could do M&A and, and with one of the companies that ends up in our portfolio at some point. But it's it's not the reason that we that we set up the fund. You know, you're right. There's a bit of a continuum between VC and M&A to some extent. You know, you're looking for funding in one way or another. But we definitely don't we definitely don't require that M&A be an outcome for the VC investments. There are companies in our portfolio that we're you know we're we're never going to own, but we've got a a strategic interest in for whatever reason. Does that help? That's perfect. And I think you made a really key comment there that's important for entrepreneurs because we'll often hear, well, I'm not sure if I want to talk to that strategic because you know they might be competitive, et cetera. But a great corporate VC can really be a navigator and to help somebody understand all of the different players in a corporation to help guide them towards a commercial relationship, a partnership, or even something broader if an investment doesn't make sense. So it's great to hear you guys kind of have that mindset. And I'm not sure if it's one that's shared by enough of your fellow corporate investors, unfortunately. I, I absolutely agree with you. That's actually paramount for us, right? If, if, I mean, if we can, it becomes a little self-fulfilling, maybe a little selfish, but it's great. If we invest and we care about the return, Kellogg gets a strategic benefit from the investment and we can help that entrepreneur succeed. It helps our investment, right? So it becomes a sort of a virtuous cycle. And we really are in it. You know, once we partner with somebody, we're in it to help that entrepreneur. And if you know, if the best thing for the entrepreneur is to have some sort of commercial arrangement with some part of Kellogg, or we, you know, we can help in some way, that's great. If if it's not, that's great too. That's fine. You know, it, we we really do want to partner with them. And in that sense, we're like a more you know financially oriented VC who's who's really just looking for you know, return or, you know, I guess ultimately what's best for the VC. Um, that's exactly how we operate. So the final question I want to ask you is a little bit about how you think corporations can get going in this space. You know, a lot of companies, when they approach it, they staff their venture firms internally and somebody has to learn the world, learn to navigate it. What do you think the best approach is for somebody who's there starting off looking at corporate venture to navigate and learn this landscape? and the relationships that drive venture capital and startups? Yeah, I, I guess I'd say a couple of things. So I have a, a, a sort of an, a, a background as an institutional investor, which certainly helped. You know, having worked at Kellogg or worked on the corporate side, I guess, more generally, really helped. I guess what I'd say is I don't know that either one of those two things exclusively is enough. So it, 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 I think it's great to have employees from the corporation because they can help to navigate in your way through it. And, and as with any business, you know, it, any, it, it, it's all relationship driven. And it, I think who you know is very important. So it can be a big benefit from that. Having said that, you know, going blind into the investment side of this would be difficult, I think. And I think from that re- for that reason, it, it's good to find either somebody who's got experience in both sides of that or to get people from both sides and, and, and build your team that way. You know, I think they're both essential 
to the success of, of your fund. You know, there's no book out there on how to start a venture fund. I, I checked a few years ago, and uh, certainly not a corporate one that I could find. So a bit of it is just experience. And, and I guess the other thing is you end up, and, you, and I, th- I think this is the other thing you really must do, but you end up spending a lot of time trying to build relationships. Again, the you know the venture world broadly, I think, is is very much like a lot of other a lot of other industries where you know it's all about who you know and your connections. And I think I probably spent the first six months uh, of the life of the fund on the phone. Sounds like an exaggeration, but it's not much of one. And that's important, you know. It, it's just it, it's meeting people, and 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 that can be a very that can be a very important part of the process too. So. Um, It was a little bit of a tangent from your question, but I think applicable. No, that's perfect. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time today, Simon. It's always a pleasure to reconnect and to hear a little bit more about the story of 1894. So thank you for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dave. I really, uh, really appreciate it, too. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.